Here we go. Ephesians 4. Please, uh, let's pray. God, we have now turned a rather significant corner in this letter that you've inspired to a group of folks, Jew and Gentile, trying to get along and amazingly doing it and sustaining it, not creating it, but recognizing that your spirit already created the unity that was there among them uh, and that they just simply needed to honor it and maintain it. And I pray that as we look at this passage too, that we can be astounded of the work that you did there in Ephesus so many years ago and the work that you've done here among us too. And that with the same heart and the same spirit and the same Lord, that we can head in the exact same direction. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for the way that it opens our eyes again and again. And thank you too abundantly for it tells us who we are in Jesus. And as we begin to realize that to a much deeper degree, the way that that we are then vaulted forward to do your work as your workmanship has been such a thrill in my life. And I know for so many of us to, to now have this motivation that seems to be carrying us along almost effortlessly at times and leaves us not exhausted, but leaves us all more exhilarated knowing that we aligned ourselves with your amazing will. Thank you, God. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So tonight's lesson all for one. Is because those two words will be repeated again and again and again throughout these verses in the original language and even in the uh, translation language that we have here in in English. So, as you recall, Paul had just said in verse 1, I urge you, therefore, to live a life worthy of the calling by which you were called. And now he moves on to describe that a bit. And this is kind of a flow. There's no real break in verses 1 and 2 in the original text. But this calling and this life worthy is one that's marked by these things that are now described. Be completely humble. And in the original language, it just says with all humility, with all gentleness. And then it goes on to say with patience and with a bearing of one another in love. So that's just kind of the the concept in the original language. I'll, I'll read it again here, though, as we have it in translation. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so we have all for one. And so looking at this passage tonight, we're going to look at not only the ones, the ones of the body, the spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism and Father God, uh, but then also look at what it is that characterizes one who lives worthy of their calling with all humility, all gentleness, with patience and with a putting up with attitude uh, with, with others that are there. Do not ever lose sight of this, please, when you're having your quiet times, when you're contemplating any of the scriptures in this book. There is an overriding background, and this is it. This background cannot be mistaken. As as subtle as it may seem, even on this slide, uh, it is much more overt. There are Jews and Gentiles trying to get along. Two people that hate each other. Both have made overt statements that you know what you're good for you're good for the fires of hell and and yet these people have come together 
And they've not only come together, they've come together supernaturally by the very work of the Holy Spirit, knitting them together, organically growing them into a new body, the very body of Christ. And, and as we consider this, before I get, I'm going to go into each of the ones briefly, but right now I just want to consider this idea of all humility, all gentleness, patience, and this putting up with attitude. I want to start with the putting up with, because it's easy to be humble and gentle and patient when everybody is like George Hurd. Right? Super pleasant guy. Sure, he left his Bible up here, but Tina was so happy to come up and get it because George is such a nice guy. Right? I mean, who, who's not like humble and gentle and patient with George? It, it, but the fact that, that Paul has to include, and by the way, I also need to make sure that you can bear with one another in love. The, the idea here is that you've got unbearable people with you. And the very fabric of this church seems to indicate that there must be more than a few little you know, brush fires that need to be put out continually in, in such a fellowship as that. But for us, it doesn't seem like you know, we have rivalries between Bible talks or, you know, the young marrieds are saying, man, those singles, they got all the good news sharing. What in the world? Like, we don't have that. But <laughs> as far as I know, but I would imagine that where this seems to hit home is at home. Because those are the people that see you all the time. And you don't have your stained glass smile on like you have it here. You are who you are. And, you know, sometimes you get convicted by the, you know, you know, what are you like when nobody's watching? Well, that's kind of what you're like at home. And because of that, friction and sparks are, are, are going to occur. Uh, you're going to be sick at home. And for a while when you're sick, you know what? Your spouse is like, oh, can I get you anything? Oh, oh my goodness, let me, let me help out. But you know, when it's day three and you're still like, oh, your spouse is no longer like, oh no. Your spouse is like, oh my goodness. Like, come on. Do you not have an immune system that could like kick this thing by now? It's almost like we should just put like the 48-hour clock on our, on our patients when somebody in our house is sick. Like, we're good, but I mean barely 48 hours. Really, we're good for like 18. But I mean, 48, we're, we're, but once it goes past that, we're like, oh. Uh, uh, uh. We don't say that, of course. But boy, is that going on underneath the surface. But it's... It, Every little quirk and idiosyncrasy, every little like tick of your tongue or the way that the spoon hits your teeth when you eat your cereal, uh, the way that you hold your knife. I mean, all of these things are just kind of aggregating, you know, into the relationship. And even though these things seem small in total, there's some bearing with one another that, that, that starts to kick in. And so let's just let this lesson tonight be for those situations. Because I think those are the test cases for us. 
of whether we're really being moved by the calling by which we're called to live a life worthy of everything that's been stated about us, right? So far, Paul is like bringing it. You are inherited. You're an adopted child of, of God. You're Jesus's brother. God loves you. He likes you. You've got an inheritance. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got power. You've got all, right? All of this. So how about this great calling that you've got? How about you bear with one another? Because that's what kind of really where the rubber meets the road here with Jew and Gentile or with husband and wife or mother and daughter oof, or brother and sister. Oh, right. I, I mean, it really does meet the road. It, it really exists at some place. So this idea of all humility. Now, here's what's interesting is to a Greek audience, which would have been the predominance of Ephesus, the word humility had an intensely negative connotation because it was a shame honor society and to be honored was to never have to be humiliated to never have the tag of humility put on you but yet in our bibles philippians 2 3 speaks about us having the the same humility do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourselves the parallel passage over in Colossians 3, almost exact of oh, this one, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 1 Peter 3.8, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. We've got a, a long list of, of amazing passages, not the least of which is Jesus, take my yoke upon you, Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We are so used to, as, as a Christian context, to hear the word humble and think, oh, that's a good thing. That would be somewhat scandalous. That's how countercultural Christianity was and really still is. And because all of society does rail against humility in different ways, it's very difficult to actually really pursue humility. And I think any of us, if we're to be convicted about the whole pride humility thing, well, that's one of the easiest ones to be convicted of. We can think of the times where we've been defensive when somebody had to give us some sort of feedback in, in any way, uh, even to ask the question, hey, when was the last time you really you know, sought advice to be able to ha practice humility in that way? Ooh, it's true, it's probably, yeah, a long way. But for, for, for me, I, I think the, the, the difficulty is it doesn't just say when we're going to be good at bearing with one another. It doesn't just say with humility. But when he says with humility, he says with all humility. Or as the NIV, completely humble. I mean, humility is such a, a long way off anyway. Now he's saying, oh, and completely humble. Is, is this now our pursuit? But you know what? In and of ourselves... It is completely beyond us. But when we recognize who we are in Christ, even if as these um, Gentiles that are, that are uh, in view here, they are to remember at the time they were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now... In Christ, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's just back in chapter 2 that I was reading from. 
If we remember from whence we came, well then humility comes into a much more proper view. And if we recognize that we were foreigners, we were outsiders, we were those that were repulsive in the sight of all things holy. But now in Christ Jesus, we get to be like Christ. Not with a humility that is imposed upon us by shame and embarrassment, but with a humility that we run after because we see it in Jesus. And as we see it in Jesus, we're so grateful to now be in Christ. It's our, our one and only opportunity to really rise above any sort of a worldly kind of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps or push yourself down for humility uh, by, by your own hand approach to humility to recognize, no, if, if I'm ever going to, to know what all humility is going to be, it's going to come from constant reflection of where I would be right now without Jesus Christ. And then being astounded at where I really am. And not just psyching myself up, but having scriptures ready. Really washing over my conscience and forming my, my mind. Understanding who I am by the scriptures. Not just by, by kind of uh, uh, you know, psych up phrases or platitudes of what I am. But by the Bible. So important that we continue to let these words wash over us. Uh, that then I think is our best shot at finally knowing what it is to take every step in all humility. But it also talks about being all gentleness. Gentleness, sometimes is just translated just not harsh. And that, that's the very idea that's going on here. It always has to do with someone who has a bit of authority. Whether that's a, a husband with a wife, a parent with a child, someone who's older with someone who's younger. But it always has that sort of a context to it. And when you combine that with patience, for, for me, what I realize is when I lack patience, it expresses itself with some sort of frustration that drips off of my lips. It doesn't drip off, it kind of explodes out at times. <laughs> and, and, whether, and, and here's the saddest part, is that it often happens with my kids. And it's, it's terrible because not only is it an, an awful interaction, it just feels bad in the moment, but I also realize, oh my goodness, because father figures in some way influence a child's view of God. Wow, what am I doing? Even to their view of God. And I, I read a book many, many years ago now, The Life You Always Wanted by Ortberg. And he said something that just gave me a punch to the gut. And, it, and he asked, why is it that you can be so humble and gentle with your peers? So humble and gentle with your boss, so humble and gentle with strangers, but with your own children, you can be harsh and impatient. Why is it? And this is what he concluded. Because you can. Ah, oh. and when I was honest with myself and I realized, why is it when I bark out these things in my mind? Oh, I just am trying to bring about righteousness in you, my dear child. No. <laughs> You know what it is? It, it, I was personally inconvenienced. I was personally uh, frustrated in some way. And because I can, it's the worst reason, but it's the most true reason. Because I can, I've exasper exasperated my child. I've given full vent to my frustration. And it's just self-indulgence. And it's so nasty and ugly. And, uh, and I could appreciate how that would just undermine in any... Church situation here, 
any kind of a rift that would be going on in Jew and Gentile, to, to no longer have that gentleness, especially if you're in some sort of a, a position of kind of authority or respect where, where somebody is looking to you in some, some uh, way for guidance, what, one way or another. But if it, it happens through impatience. Another thing that um, really showed me that what, what was the, the key to this too, because they relate, is years ago in Virginia Beach, remember you had to get a parking pass to park on the street of Virginia Beach? It's, well, I'm going back, what, 15 years now probably for this. But uh, if you didn't have that parking pass... No dice. You'd get a ticket just for parking on the street in Virginia Beach as, as a resident. And so it was a resident parking pass. And, um, and I blew it. I, I didn't get my parking pass, and I had to go down to the oceanfront to the, uh, the, the office there. And, and it was, you know, the day after. And so I think, well, I'll, I'll get there. You know, hopefully I won't get tagged before then. And, I, and I, I go to, you know, get there to get into the line. And it's like the middle of the day. And I get there, and the line is out the door and down the block. I think it was like 19th Street or somewhere. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I got in the line, and it took over two hours. But guess what? I was patient the entire time in that line. Why? Because I'm an idiot. I'm a procrastinator. I brought this on myself. What am I going to say? Like, how dare all you people be as stupid as I am and make this line this long for me right now? I had nothing to say. I'm a dope like the rest of you, you know, where's my dunce cap, where do I get in the line, all right, let's go, and, and nobody was making excuses in the line either, I mean, like, we're, you know, we're all in this together, anyway, two hours, two hours without any, like, oh, I can't believe this, all right, come on, come on, there's none of that, because I brought it on myself, then later that night, Deb and I were, were um, having to go get cash at an uh, ATM, and, and as we're waiting in line, my, my window was down. It was a warm day, which was good because I was in a long line outside earlier that day. But, but it was a warm day. And the person in front of me at the ATM machine is taking a while. And they're like kind of fumbling as they're doing it. So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, come on. Like, do you not know how to use an ATM machine? <laughs> oh. And so I, I have my arm in the window. So I have my wedding ring. And I start tapping on the, uh, on the car with my ring. Just, you know. Just casually, like, I'm just thinking, tapping. And then I let loose a little sigh. <sighs> and Debbie, of course, says, you know, he knows what you're doing, right? And I said, I hope so. And, and, um, and I'm thinking, oh, man, either he didn't know how to use an ATM or he's got $17 in his account. And he started at 60 for withdrawal. Then he went to 40. Then he went to 20. And I didn't even have that. This is the worst human being on earth that is in front of me right now. And he's inconveniencing me in this line. So I, I go through and I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm super efficient. I'm dee, 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 boom. Dee. Yeah, that's the way it's done. Oh, they're gone. I get I'll send you a tutorial. But so we, we, we pull away. We pull away, and Debbie asks me, how long do you think we were in that line? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It was probably a really long time because, you know, we had to get someplace. She said, 90 seconds. <laughs> oh. and, it, and it all came flooding to me at that moment. I waited for two hours with humility or humiliation. <laughs> but because I thought I knew better, I knew how to use the ATM better. I knew how to do whatever better. I know how to, you know, make those fries and cover that burger and get it to the line faster than you do behind the counter. I, 
I, I would know how to scan that and get, get it into the bag and get me out of the store right now. I would know how to, you know, whatever it is where I'm impatient, I realize the common denominator of all my impatience is my awful arrogance. Pride. The thing that made the devil the devil. And I remember one time, I'm going to study every verse on patience. I'm going to memorize every verse on patience because I don't want to be this impatient person anymore. And I realized, oh my goodness, if I really want to be a patient person, I just need to recognize what a proud, arrogant, conceited man that I am. And that I don't, in humility, consider others before myself, as Jesus does. That I'm, I'm more like Satan than like Jesus as these interactions occur. And it's as though Philippians 2.3 just doesn't even exist for me. All that exists is self and self-consummation and, and just a desire that anything that inconveniences self is just kind of obliterated if I had the ability to be able to do so in my disgusting arrogance that, that's going on in those moments. And But, but I, here's the, the nice part is once I realize that, it has actually been really quite helpful. Uh, and to recognize, oh my goodness, like, how, how are they to know? We do this with our kids in the morning, right? Like, we've got to get to church. What are you doing? we got to get to school. What are you doing? We've got to get to midweek. What are you doing? Maybe this happened even moments ago for you. But you know how many minutes it takes to drive to church. They don't really know. They just kind of along for the ride. They, they know, you know, to the minute. I mean, they don't know to the minute all of the things that you do know. Yeah, but I told them. Yeah, you, you told them like four and a half weeks ago and, you know, the, the 19 and a half minute thing, it, it, that's come and gone. But, but by now, I mean, it, you know, I'm not setting them up for success. But now I'm imparting upon them this assumption that they should know better in my arrogance. Well, I know, so they should know. And now you're inconveniencing me. Ah, oh, I can't believe this. And what it, it, it's just it, it, no, no considering others. Uh, before ourselves in that very process. Uh, and, and what I've found is that if, if I'm going to see progress in all humility, gentleness, patience, even with those that I have to put up with uh, in whatever way it is, uh, you know what? It's just time for me to attack my arrogance and my conceit and, and my just being consumed with self in every one of those situations. But in humility, consider others before myself as Jesus does, as, as uh, you know, one of the, the great passages in Philippians 2.3 says about that. So, that's, that's I think, the, the great guide that Paul gives us here. But then he also says, there's one other thing that, that really does bind us. And it's doctrine. It's the clarity of doctrine that we've got. That there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. One body. There is one body of Christ. Jew, Gentile, there's no splitting this thing up. We've talked about this on, on plenty of sermons of late. That this is what this whole letter is about. We are sticking it together because to have multiple bodies of Christ and be okay with that is anathema or is, is accursed because it is so against what it really means to be one in Christ. And I, and I think for tonight, uh, as you have opportunity with anybody where there's any friction left in the greater fellowship, yes, we'll deal with stuff when we get home, for sure. But if there's anybody that you have any, any sort of a disconnect, where you don't feel like you are absolutely one with one another, and it's time to walk over and start to make reparations. Here's how you don't make reparations. You know what? I'm not feeling close to you because you really hurt my feelings 
when you were so rude when you said this thing a little while back ago. And I just wanted to be open so that we can repair our relationship. Okay. Well, let's get five other people in here to arbitrate after what just was said at that moment. And then maybe we can start to make some progress. What is it? On, I, I've made assumptions about you. I've, I, I've actually you know, some, harbored, harbored some feelings. This may have nothing going on with you at all right now. But I, I just need to, to come forward and, and just let you know that I've been a bit of a mess. I've been arrogant and, and I've been making assumptions here. And I, I just want to make sure that we can kind of connect at a, at a deeper level. And I can dispel all of these silly thoughts that have been going on in my head that are not charitable. Charitable is just another way of saying of thinking the best when you don't really know. I've not been charitable in these situations, which is why he says in love. Now, in the King James, it, bearing with one another in love. Uh, is agape. Sure, we know agape. We know, you know, 1 Corinthians 13. But 1 Corinthians 13 and all of the kind of the, the, the passages that speak of love in the King James kind of switch it up and use the word charity. Now, to be charitable is not to kind of be UNICEF. It is to be someone who's somebody's biggest fan. Somebody who thinks the best, doesn't keep a record of wrongs, everything that we can read in that beautiful love passage or charity passage of of 1 Corinthians 13. But if this is all going to work and we're going to bear with one another, it's got to be with charity in our hearts. That I know that this is not about you. This is about my own kind of misgivings, my own pride, my my own self-conceits that are going on here. And I I, got to come to you right now knowing that you are an amazing sister in Christ and my goodness, there should be no reason at all that we are not thick as thieves, maybe not the best analogy in a church setting, that, 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 that we have that kind of a friendship and a connection one with another. There is one spirit. And, and this is so encouraging because you can think, oh my goodness, here I am. I have such a, an anemic walk in Christ right now. But I mean, look at Derek. I mean, Derek, he's, he's out there. He's not afraid to kind of proclaim Jesus. He's having fun all the time. And, well, you know what? You have the same spirit. We all have the same spirit in Christ. We have the same spirit as Paul. We have the same spirit as everybody that we encounter in the scriptures. Even, even Timothy, who didn't you know, kind of you know, do anything for a selfish gain, but always did everything for everybody else. But I, I think what it is, is that we just use our inhibitions to block the spirit more than others. I think all of us, when we kind of pull back our flesh, pull back all of our inhibitions that that we use as the social constructs of how it is that we interact with people, when we peel those back and then really trust the spirit to be fully expressed through our lives, then we'll know what it is to have the same spirit as whoever it is that you really admire as they sow to the spirit rather than to the flesh. But it is that spirit that supernaturally transformed every one of us and we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. The the absolute unity that we have isn't because of that water trough that's out there. It's because we're not just born of water. We're born of water and spirit. And it is that spirit that has now brought us together supernaturally, transcendently in the one body. One hope. You know, we've talked about hope a good bit here. So I'm going to kind of leave it with what we've already talked about. But nobody's hope is greater than anybody else's hope because it's not based on your performance. It's based, you all have the same ironclad guarantee in Jesus. And so, no no matter how hopeful you may be, you are not more hopeful than anybody else. Because they have, they should be just as full of hope. It's not a feeling, it's a fact. Your hope is a fact. 
Jesus had already guaranteed it. Not only by taking your sins through His blood, but by being resurrected. His resurrection seals the deal. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. There's going to be a reclamation and a restoration of all things. It's happening. No doubt about it. And you're all going to be invited to the party. Woohoo! Praise God. One Lord. And And I love this. That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, the Bible says that right after looking at people like Gideon and David and Deborah and, well, Barak anyway. He made the Hall of Faith. Go figure. Uh, but, but, but the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you, you pick at all of these, the, the great prophets, they were sawn in two. The world wasn't worthy of them. You, you know what? Jesus was the same for them. Jesus was the same at the writing of that letter. And Jesus is the same for us. The Spirit of Christ that infused Polycarp, infused Paul, dwelt within those great men of faith, is the same Spirit that dwells within us. Same Jesus, same Lord, same standard, same sacrifice, same gratitude. One faith. This is not talking, um, from what most people say here, this is not talking about how deeply you trust. This is about the kind of the, the doctrine of our belief. And a lot of people don't like doctrine today. Well, just be a good person. Just be nice. Because people don't like propositional statements. They like stories. They like relationships. They like connections. And amen, I like those things too. But I'm not saved by the stories or by the connections or by the relationships. That we are saved by the doctrine of grace. And that doctrine is immensely important. And we can't just kind of be like, well, you know, as long as you're a nice person. That gets you nowhere. And, and, the, and the faith that has been laid out already in the book of Ephesians is an astonishing faith. This, this system of belief that is laid out for us saves our souls. Praise God. This is in which we put our trust. And this is what they all had in common. Whether they're coming from a Jewish background, whether they're coming from a, uh, a, a Gentile background, they all had the same way that they could be saved because God loved them with a great love and He took them from dead in sin to alive in Christ. He intervened. The Holy Spirit convicted them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Opened their eyes. They responded with repentance, re- realizing now all that God has given them. They were able then to be born of water and spirit to be truly regenerated and truly set on a path of, of all the new life that is to come. This is an astounding faith, all built on, on, on the work of Jesus Christ, and it's ours. And, and of course, in the midst of that is one baptism. Now, the one thing that everybody in this list argues about the most is baptism. You're like, well, you know, baptism, what is it? What does it mean? And this is what most people say. Well, baptism is just a symbol. Well, if it's just a symbol or just an emblem, why is it in this list? Right? I mean, you know, the good old Sesame Street song? One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. Well, you should be singing that about this list if, if, if this is really out of place. But it's not presented that way. Paul's not singing that song. He is including it just as firmly as everything else in this list. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Those three are very tightly knit, the way that this is written. They're in staccato fashion, using um, three different versions of the word one in a creative way that Paul does here. But 
there is no differentiation between this and everything else that he puts on the list. Why? It's such a big deal because it's the way that God gives us his gifts. And if this is the means or the mechanism or the delivery vehicle by which all of these gifts are imparted to us, well, praise God that he allows it to be so clear, so certain, and also um, so uh, secure for us in our life in Christ. Uh, but again, if this, if this is just merely an emblem or a symbol, well, then why not put something else in there? Why not put love? Why, why, not, why not put um, what, what, one, one uh, uh, path of discipleship? Uh, pick, pick something that, that's there. Why then put a symbol in the middle of this? Why? Because it's not just a symbol. It's the way that God brings us with... Here's, here's the technical word. It is efficacious. It actually does something. It actually counts for something. If it were not efficacious, it would not be in this list. And then it's followed with one God. And amen for that. One God and Father of all, who encouragingly is through all and in all. Uh, and so we do have this uh, amazing list. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one Father God. Almost looks like the number one too, doesn't it? That's kind of cool. It's just luck. That's all it is. It's just luck by translation. I'm sure if we put it into Greek, it would look like, ah, it's like a leaning over letter F right now. Um, but so for, for, for us tonight, uh, we, we've got a couple minutes as, as we um, you know, break and talk about how we're doing with special. But uh, this is one thing. If there's not an issue in your, in your Bible talk, but there's an issue anywhere, I don't want us to, to, to let this week go by or even this night to go by. Without you setting the time where you're like, you know what, there's a little bit of friction here and I know it's on me and there is no way that we're going to really be able to be the body of Christ that makes the world's jaw drop at the depth of our unity if we're not dealing with this every single time that it comes about. Amen. Enjoy the fellowship.